From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 446, upgrading to Exchange 2016 with guest Tony Redmond, recorded Tuesday, October 27th, 2015. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I'm here at IT Edge Intersection in Las Vegas and found myself a Tony Redman. How are you, sir? Hi, Richard. It's good to talk to you as always. Yeah, um, and just a lucky coincidence we're in the same place at the same time to get, to, yeah. get a chance to chat, because usually I get you back home in Ireland. Yes, normally I, I'm... It's kind of funny this time around because uh, this is my second trip to Vegas in six weeks. <sighs> that's a lot of flying. Man. Yeah, that's a lot of flying. But anyway, <laughs> I'm here and you're here and so we can have a chat. Get uh, Ashley chat. Well, what's new in your world? Exchange keeps moving forward. Although, I mean, do we should we only focus on the cloud? Is on-prem still mattering for some folks? Oh, yeah. On-prem is, is still mattering. I mean, the, the if you look at the data, uh, even with the somewhat outlandish claim I thought by Microsoft at Ignite that 35% of the total exchange install base had moved to Office 365 by that point in right. time last May. Uh, I, I don't believe it. But even if you took it, yep. that that still means the 65% are on-prem. Are on-prem. But anything, even if it's 35% using Office 365, are they actually moving all their mailboxes into the cloud? Well, I think what we've seen is that uh, we've had a large movement of the small to medium businesses to the sure. cloud. The guys who don't have can't afford a full time exchange administrator. Well, the guys who have been running, quite honestly, battered old Exchange twenty two thousand and three servers underneath their the uh, SBS the desktops, guys, right? Yeah, so they're all in uh, Office three six five now, or at least they should be, right? Because those guys should not be running Exchange servers. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's fair to say that there's an. Uh, you got to remember that Office 365 is now four years into the journey. That's a, that's actually a pretty long time. Yeah, it's it's becoming a mature product, I think. Yes, and if you look at the SLA numbers that Microsoft have racked up, even though they are calculated on the service as a whole, so they don't reflect necessarily the experience of any individual tenant, they're still pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in the last quarter with a couple of glitches, they got 99.95. Yeah. The three quarters before that were 99.99. Yeah. So That's pretty better than most exchange installations I know of. Oh, without doubt. Yeah. With, without a doubt. These guys know how to keep a service online. And there's a great sense of opportun uh, operational maturity that is that does exist in the service. And mm -hmm. that's what I think has given people the confidence to move over. We are seeing, you just track the Microsoft financial results, you can see that Office 365, even though it's obscured a little bit in, yep. the, in the numbers, it's growing. Money's going that way. It's growing. You know, they had 107% compound growth uh, in the last fiscal year. We saw more evidence of growth in the mm -hmm. last quarter just, just closed. So my best guess at the moment is that there's north of 100 million mailboxes now running Office 365, which is a phenomenal amount. That's a lot of mailboxes. That's a lot of the mailboxes. And it's since, I mean, 2013 was very much sort of the first version that was driven by the cloud. The on-prem product was quite, you know, they were taking the cloud bits and, and bringing them down? Uh, well, that's one way of looking at it. Yeah. I, th I think it'd be fair to say that Exchange 2010 was the first version that they had the opportunity to to look at what cloud 
engineering really meant. Right. And they had the opportunity there to introduce some fairly fundamental building blocks like the database availability group. I mean, yep. Microsoft got about, I think, well, 1,400 database availability groups in Exchange Online. So That's without the DAG, number, you know, Exchange Online couldn't, couldn't, well, yeah, couldn't not, exist. And you're not going to buy SAN for all of that. It's just too no, big. No, no, no. And you you got to remember that they started the whole uh, march to JBOD or what you could also call the march to reduce uh, IOPS yep. in exchange after Exchange 2003. Because mm-hmm. when you look back at it now, in hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. Exchange 2003 was a fat pig when it came to <laughs> IOPS. Yep. Absolutely. and uh, It was hostile to everything else on the network. Uh, well, <laughs> it was particularly fond of chewing up enterprise uh, class uh, drives, which is yep. great for the likes of HP and EMC who could sell those those SANs. Yes. But I think it, one of the one of the more notable engineering achievements of the last decade, when it comes to Exchange, has been the success that Microsoft has had in reducing the I/O footprint of Exchange sure. quite dramatically, quite, quite, quite dramatically, to a point where JBOD is the de facto standard yeah. now. And again, this is a thing that they absolutely needed for uh, for operations because they. They can't tolerate Not at the that scale we're talking no. about, hundreds of millions of mailboxes. No, 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 There's no absolutely. other way to do it. Uh, not at the scale of the size of mailboxes we're now looking at, because when you think about it, there's a 50 gig standard mailbox in Exchange Online. Right. Archives are now ever expandable because they have mastered this thing of uh, mailbox chains. Right. So you've now got the concept where you allocate a chunk of 50 gig. Now, let's just think about a chunk, <laughs> chunk of, of 50, 50 gig. gig. Remember that used to be a big number? Yeah. yeah. And you can now associate all those chunks of 50 gig mailbox data in a chain, which wow. forms a logical repository. And now they've done that for archive mailboxes. And the reason why they've done that is because that allows them to do things like import PSTs yep. and any other data that you'd want from uh, on-prem. But what I think is going to happen over the next while is that you will you will see them take their experience at the game from archives, which are predominantly write once, read many times, right. to the more active mailbox. And you're going to see them have this ability to chain chunks again mm-hmm. of mailbox data to form primary mailboxes. So conceivably, in five or six years' time, you might be looking at yourself and saying, oh, that 250 gig mailbox isn't so big after all. Yeah, it's all. not a big deal. No big a deal. A terabyte here, a terabyte yeah. there. Pretty soon you're talking about real yeah. storage. And you look at the uh, you look at the decision they made last uh, earlier this year, which, I, which from an enterprise perspective was the world's worst decision ever, <laughs> where they said that we're not going to empty the deleted items folder anymore. Okay. It's amazing to even say that. That's well, no, 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 no. Because remember, you, when you're talking about cloud, cloud economics, right. you try and take friction out whenever possible. Right. So one of the frictions, points of friction that they saw were an inordinate number of support calls that came in from users who said, I deleted something and I want to get it back. Yes. And that just costs them money. And they don't have, on. they don't have backups. They never take backups of Exchange Online. Right. So if you delete something, it goes into the the dumpster, the recoverable items right. uh, folder. That gets cleared out after thirty days. Yep. End of. It's end of, gone. It's gone. It's really, really gone. So what Microsoft said? Well, as I'm from March 2015, we're not emptying the deleted items folder. If you want to empty the deleted items folder, you can do it. But our default retention policy that is stamped on every ma- Exchange Online mailbox leaves that sucker alone. Right. So right now, I think my deleted items folder has 115,000 items in it. <laughs> 
It's only been since March, man. Know, yeah. You, you get too much mail, eh? Uh, well, I, I, I got a lot of crap, let's put it like that. <laughs> uh, so, so, so the point is, is that we're heading towards, uh, an era of mailboxes of a size that. In, yeah. In, indefinite size. Well, you remember, you got to remember that when we started this journey, which is nearly 20 years ago. Yeah. 20 meg was, was a large big. mailbox. Yep. It was big. Yeah, was re- that was really big. And now it's a so, thousand-fold bigger, three orders of magnitude bigger. Exactly. And it doesn't look like anything. And that's been facilitated by that march that they made to reduce the I.O. profile, to get to the right. point where they can they can put disks in, and if they fail, they don't care. Shoot the disk, get it out. Yeah, another disk. And, you know, so, that, so, so getting back to where we started, because you, you know, one of the things about when we, you and I talk, we, we ramble a lot. It's, <laughs> we do. It's a ramble we, down memory we lane. We enjoy that. Yeah, I do enjoy it. Yeah. But when you think about it, like Exchange 2010 introduced the DAG. Yep. Exchange 2013 introduced a lot of the automation that helps Exchange Online work. You, you got managed availability coming into play. Yep. And also you started to see the rough edges of DAG operation being being filed away. Yeah. So that they uh they have the stuff in there that make, for example, lagged database copies actually work. Yeah. You know? And now in twenty sixteen what I see is just a wholesale transfer of knowledge, experience, and technology from the cloud back to on-prem. Yeah. There's not a lot of new features per se. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're an Exchange 2013 administrator and you're looking at 2016, it's pretty well the same thing. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like the stuff that the, um, the, the, the auto companies have do, be doing for years when they say, Oh, here's the 2016 model. Right. Uh, by the way, it, it differs from the 2015 model because it's rear, uh, taillights are a slightly different shape. That's More right. aerodynamic, but they're nice. Yeah. And we've got a new instrument console. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Look, it's blue instead of, instead of white. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, uh, really 2016 is an evolution. It's a close kissing cousin. Of 2013, I call it Exchange 2013 Service Pack 2. Okay, that's that's fair, I, I guess so. But the really important thing uh, that you take out of this is first, it's tremendously easy to uh, implement not if be you've a done 2013. Upgrade. Yeah, not a painful upgrade. It's even easy to implement if you're if you're a 2010 customer, oh, yeah. right? And 2010 to 2013. I mean, I, I'm glad I waited. And I think part of it was uh, your advice when in, in when 2013 first dropped and there were some issues. It's oh, like, yeah, the harbor quality issues. Yeah, we, it's, it's like you know you shouldn't be in a hurry for this. Yeah, well, I think it's a different matter now because uh, and and there's two reasons for that. The first is that Microsoft have now got the build to build upgrade down pat mm-hmm. in terms of cumulative updates. Yeah, they've been been through ten cumulative updates for Exchange 2013. The first couple of them were, let's say awful mm. there were a couple of others that had interesting coexistence issues along yep. the way but i think it's fair to say it's gotten dramatically better since 2010 what's gone boring yeah you know what you're right i stopped thinking about it 2010 roll-up upgrades was something i blocked a day out for or two and sort of girded you know had a couple of stiff drinks like okay let's do this yes and now you just don't think about it anymore well it's it's got so boring that um the way I used to look at it, I anticipated a cumulative update release date, and I'd have it all prepared. I'd have all the glitches that I'd observed, all the glitches that other MVPs had observed and stuff like that. I was ready to rock and roll yep. with an article on the day they launched. And now it's gone, oh, gosh. Okay, you fix these bugs. That's great. Yeah. But basically everything works. That's fantastic. And you can put it in as easy as, as pie. 
Ugh. When your article looks like the readme, install this and these things will be fixed. Right. It's not really an article. Right. Uh, yeah, pretty well. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's boring. It's it's I mean, just it's a bo- good boring. It's but good it is- boring, but it's bad boring from a from a readership perspective. All right. Yeah. So from a Maven perspective, it's like when all this stuff just works, why do we exist? Yes. <laughs> yes. So we're now moving into the era of the meaning of life part of this show. <laughs> Where Richard Campbell will talk to you guys about why you should take some happy pills. Nice. Anyway, moving back on. Everything's going to be fine. I did want to make the point, though, that 2016, the biggest reason why I think it's a good good thing to go um, early, it has high quality, but because you do get the advantage of all of the stuff that they have learned from the cloud. So in some ways, we're getting V3 of the cloud edition of Exchange. That's one way of looking at it. I mean, uh, but the, but, Here's the thing. You have to be prepared to say that the RTM version, what we see now Mm -hmm. of Exchange 2016, what's just been released is incomplete. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, yeah, then the the development group have said, yeah, we know it's incomplete, but we're releasing it. And they're releasing it for many reasons, one of which is because that they're being told to, to do that by the powers that be inside Microsoft because they have to have these releases. But the other reason is, is that they have now got this build-to-build cumulative update model done right. Right. So they know that they have features that weren't quite ready, but they'll be released over the next couple of cumulative updates. And and there's an argument that this will always be true. Yes, it will. Whenever you cast a version, there's always going to be features that are good to go and features that are rough. Yeah, we live in an era of very rapid cadence. Right. And if you take it, uh, in August, Microsoft said that they, they they were very proud about this. They had shipped 450 updates to Office 365 in the last year. Now, the notion for an on-premises administrator of dealing with 450 updates, even though they're spread across Exchange, SharePoint, and Skype for Business, right? Phenomenal. I mean, it's you just, just can't deal it, with that. But that's you said the number, I just got the chills. Right? It's like, oh, yeah, oh my yeah, god! Yeah, yeah, How yeah. would I test all that? Well, you don't. Yeah, you're expected to believe. Or you don't do anything. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's different doing it for Office 365 because Office 365 is this um, single fabric. Right. You don't have a choice. It's totally under the control of all the dev groups. Yeah. It's it's uh, It operates according to a playbook. It's terribly automated, mm-hmm. and it is totally unlike any on-premises environment. Yeah, I agree. So they can do that. But the point that we take from this is that at that level of cadence within the service, it pushes things down then to the on-premises products. Oh, yeah. So it means that you will have this situation where there are going to be these cumulative updates appearing every quarter roughly, 12 to 14 weeks, and they're just going to have a mixture of bug fixes and new functionality, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, no longer do we have true bug fix patches anymore. No, It's always going to be a feature stream as well. It's continual patching. Yeah. Welcome to the world of updates are us. Yeah, all of the time. And it, and of course, it occurs to me that encourages us to go to the cloud, too. It's like, if you don't want to live like this, we can do it for you. Uh, yes. Yeah, because a 13-week window is actually quite difficult for on-premises mm-hmm. uh, customers. And Microsoft, for support reasons, um, really wants you to be on the current cumulative update. Yep. Or the previous current, mm-hmm. the previous update. So well, you, you go you've on the PSS. You got uh, six month. Yeah, because if you call PSS, the first thing they're going to do is you've got to get these things installed before we're going to even talk to you. And rightly so. Yeah, and rightly yeah. so. And then that 
then gives you other little headaches, like for example, uh, all of the member servers in your DAG right. really have to be running the same release. Yep. Which, by the way, that's one of the small issues of going to 2016 is that you're going to have to rebuild your DAGs. Oh, that's yeah, because good. you can't have a 2013 and 2016 um, coexistence within a DAG. Okay. All the member servers have got to be running the same version of the OS and the same version of Exchange. So it's, it sounds to me like you're setting up new VMs, you're set, establishing new DAGs, you're moving mailboxes. Not to VMs. No? How can you say that? No. Bare metal everything? Are you still a believer? Oh, um, for mailbox servers, there's nothing like it. <laughs> I love that you're holding out on this, Tony. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, the thing about virtualization, I agree with the product group when mm-hmm. they say that virtualization adds an, an extra layer of complexity. Yes. If you as a company have mastered that layer of complexity and are happy that you've got this, the operational maturity to run your hypervisors the right way, mm-hmm. Go for it. Virtualize exchange until the cows come right. home. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there who hack their way around <laughs> virtualization, yes. barely manage to get, get the VMs Just up and running, up. slap exchange on. And then blame exchange for being slow. Yeah. And what they what you normally find is that they've allocated far, far too many CPUs, yeah. far more CPUs than, than exists on the host right. to the exchange service. So of course, What's going to happen? We're going to be in resource bay. Yeah, you're, con- you're constantly spinning. So I don't mind. If people want to go and virtualize exchange, go for it. Right. And if you're a virtualized person, yes, it would be a matter of spinning up a whole pile of new uh, VMs. Establishing a DAG. Move creating mailboxes. a DAG, move mailbox. Right. Yeah. The bare metal approach is to be new hardware. Same thing. Which is exactly what they do inside Office 365. Sure. Because when they upgrade, they take servers out of the active pool. They reduce them to bare metal yeah. and then layer on new version of uh, Windows, new version of Exchange, put it back in. Right. They don't go in for patching. No. Not no, the way I, I think patching is almost obsolete in that sense. Could be, could be. And there is a case to be made in large environments of taking the same type of approach. Absolutely. Yeah. But anyway, one of the things I, I did uh, that came into my mind that I really wanted to say at this point in time is that if you are or when you are uh, creating new machines for use with Exchange uh, 2016. Make sure you're using the latest version of the OS. Yeah. Don't. You can run Exchange 2016 on Windows 2012. Go to R2. Definitely R2, but don't hold it for 2016 because it's, it's a ways away yet. Don't hold it for 2016, and it'll take probably a little while to get uh, 2016 refined, but 20, uh, 2012 R2, no problem. a great choice. Absolutely. Great choice. Run as Radio is brought to you by ScriptRock, the makers of Guardrail and the fighters of Configuration Drift. Configuration Drift happens in every environment from five nodes to 5,000. Guardrail will find and scan the configs of every node in your environment, no matter the platform, and alert you to changes happening across machines. Give it a try for three months free with the coupon code RUNASRADIO, all one word, at scriptrock.com slash RUNASRADIO. You did that so well. You like that? I did. I did. <laughs> I couldn't read that. <laughs> I've read it a few, you know, they've been a great sponsor for me for more than a year. Yeah. So every week I get to, to read that script. I've got it pretty polished up now. Oh, yeah. Sponsors are fantastic. We couldn't do this kind of stuff without Could not them, do it without I, I just couldn't read that in the same um, polished way. Thank you. I oh, yeah, appreciate that's all right, that. that. You know, another thing that jumped out at me, thinking about the infinitely large mailboxes, that works in the cloud. But if you're running on-prem exchange, like those are your drives now, people start to have an expectation of mail is forever and mailboxes have no size like size limit. That's really hard to live with. Oh, 
yeah, but I mean, if you're if you're running on prem exchange, you have so many uh, other levers that you can pull. Sure. Well, you've all, uh, always been the lever there. It's just a question of how annoyed your customer is. Uh, yeah. Well, I think that the you know once you get past ten gig, I mean, it takes a while to fill a mailbox with ten gig. It yeah. takes more to fill it with twenty five. So in fact. When you say it's got 50 or well above, I mean, it's a case yeah, it's of, like, you know, infinite. we're now at a size contest. It's yeah. mine is bigger than yours. And, and it's, it, it's all to do with the competitive race with, with Gmail. Sure. So I don't treat that as being ultra serious for the vast majority of users. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt that over time people will fill those mailboxes full of the most unbelievable collection of any old rubbish. Yeah. It's known crap. to man. Well, uh, well, I tried to put it in a slightly more polite way, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's crap. yeah, it's crap. But we've had this conversation before. It's like this whole idea of just resisting attachments of you put a link to a SharePoint document, you don't put the document in your mm. mail. I still don't think we've got a really natural mechanism in Outlook itself to make that the default behavior. Well, that's funny. Uh, it's, I think 2016 is uh, Outlook 2016 is actually much better at mm-hmm. this. And, um, if you're running inside an Office 365 environment, this, these notion of modern attachments actually come. Modern attachments. Of course they're modern. <laughs> of course they're modern. They're using URLs which were invented in 1997 yes, or, or whatever. That, yeah. yeah, whatever. You know, a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, but there must be modern. But there must you be know. modern. But the point is, is that inside the, inside Office 365, it all works very nicely and it all works very nicely because Microsoft again has control of all yeah. of the various moving parts. So they make sure that OneDrive is working. They make sure yeah. the SharePoint is working. Now you take that down to on-prem. on-prem. Outlook 2016, Exchange 2016 have got the ability to use modern attachments, mm-hmm. but you're going to need SharePoint 2016 in the mix. Right. Now introducing Exchange and SharePoint together in the same on-premises environment sometimes takes a little bit of effort. Yeah, you think Exchange is tough to set up. You try setting up Exchange SharePoint in a big way. Like that's a, not a trivial thing to deploy. No, and it's actually one of the joys of going to Office three six five is that yeah. SharePoint actually works right all just, the time. You just specify it. You yes. don't have to build it. Yes, and when you see some of the stuff that they've done with it in in things like Office three six five groups. Mm-hmm you understand the power of having this truly unified development yeah. fabric where they can essentially use all of the app applications that run inside Office 365 as a spare parts box right. that they can select bits of, oh, I'll take, oh, I need a notebook. There's one note. I'll have a little bit of that. Yeah. I need a document library. There's SharePoint. I'll have a bit of that. I need Exchange to do uh, a calendar and a mailbox. No problem. Stitch them together with Azure Active and, Directory, and, and there it is. And this whole smart document, you know, embedment thing just happens. Just you happens. don't do anything. It works. It works. You, you grab something from SharePoint, you grab something from OneDrive for Business, you try and put it in your email and it's a URI. Yep. And there trying to make that work on-prem is hard. It's harder than you might think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I After Exchange 2013 and SharePoint 2013 came out with the uh, with the site mailbox, which I think is now being consigned to the we Let's could have had a better, that. we could have had a better idea than that <laughs> category. That is a nice way to put it. Sorry. Yeah. You know, it was an interesting exercise in computer technology, but it was the world's worst configuration nightmare yeah. setting those two things up. I mean, my gosh, I think SharePoint and Exchange might have agreed under a full moon with the wind from the West yeah. 
and coyotes howling in the background <laughs> to cooperate. And that w- happened once in Redmond. Yes. But never happened really smoothly. We in, see uh, this every time in, in, in the side of Microsoft. As soon as you have a situation where you have to coordinate between teams, it's really rough for us. It is. But I, in, in their defense, I think one of the, the positive developments I've seen over the last couple of years is that some feature teams are now forming and, and in operation. Mm-hmm that uh, span multiple products. That are agnostic to a given product. Right. Yeah, I see that too. The data loss prevention team is yep. a very good example of I that. I totally agree. So really they great. got that working on Exchange 2013, yep. and then they brought it into SharePoint and OneDrive. Mm-hmm. And it's the same guys pushing it ahead. That's, that's a very different organizational element for, yeah. for Microsoft. That's not how they normally work. And you see the same type of thing in eDiscovery as well. Yeah. Because those guys there, you see the they same. They have to be cross-cutting. They have to be. Yeah. It's the same thing with search. So there, there are holdouts. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be holdouts. Yeah. But I see signs, uh, and this is the great moderating influence of the cloud. Mm-hmm. Because one of the criticisms I have of people who look at Office 365 is that so many of them look at it through the lens of the application that they use right. on-prem. So they look at the cloud and they say, well, you know, that's Exchange Online. Yeah. No, nah, that's the wrong answer. They look at it through SharePoint, and there are fewer that look at it as SharePoint because SharePoint is actually harder to move into the yes. cloud because it's so customizable on-prem. And they they start thinking about SharePoint Online, and that's absolutely the wrong answer. And then the Skype guys are only now starting to look at it because Skype for Business has, has got some of those essential features that have been recently introduced. But they have also been looking at it. And it's the wrong answer. You've got to look at the service as this unification. Yeah. Well, I mean... The idea of separating Exchange and Skype for Business is kind of crazy. I mean, that's unified communication since the beginning. Well, remember that – no, no, no. It is only only insofar as setting up online meetings. Right. There's a whole pile of unified communications that, that is totally different. Like, for example, message tra- – um, uh, what do I call it? Message transcription and delivery of voicemail and all right. that sort of stuff. That's not that's not Skype's baby. No, no, it's, yeah, that's yeah. exchange still. Yeah, but the point the point still is is that I think if you go and you buy into the notion of one of these cloud services and you do decide to move from on premises, you've got to look at how you're going to get value from the complete the whole spectrum of the cloud service rather than just focusing on the part you might know because you knew it on premises. <laughs> but you know, the, the, the corollary is true. Knowing how well those bits work together in the cloud, if you're staying on prem, it's in your best interest to start really thinking about, have we integrated properly with SharePoint? Are we doing the unified communication thing correctly? Like there's an obligation there. To oh, there's a lot of, of yeah, suite. yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. There's a lot of um, very good operational and architectural principles that can be derived from uh, the cloud. Uh, just on the operational side, if you look at standardization, mm-hmm. you look at the uh, the rigor of operational procedures, you look at the amount of automation. I mean, you you know, you had Jeff Snover here at this this conference. Yeah. Without PowerShell. Without PowerShell. None of this could, yeah. could ever work. But I still find people who look around and say, PowerShell, oh, that's that Unix kind of scripting Yeah, why would stuff. I do that? Why would I do that? <laughs> and, the, and the thing is, is, yo, do you like doing stupid mundane things day after day? Automate. Yeah. Automate to an inch of your life. And that that's it's that's a click, message that it's needs to... It's not clicking on dialogues, dude. That's not what it's no, about. No, clicking on dialogue. I lost that uh, ability to please me about 
1995. <laughs> it's just because you're old, Dad. Uh, that's a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get yeah, off yeah. my lawn. Yeah, I think Windows 95 was the last time that I was pleased with the dialogue box. With the dialogue boxes. Yeah, I'm with you. And it, and let's face it, PowerShell and Exchange has gotten better too. It has. It has. I would like to see them do a much better job though with SharePoint because mm-hmm. PowerShell, PowerShell and SharePoint is still kind of ooh. Yeah, it's a bit of a struggle. Um, bit of a struggle. With one of the workshops here at the conference that was a SharePoint one where they ended up spending a big chunk of the day getting people up to speed on the fundamentals of SharePoint and PowerShell. There's lots of people out there operating PowerShell that just are operating SharePoint and they're just still using the old-fashioned ways. Mm. And admittedly, the bits are still not perfect, but you start looking at the kind of automation you have, you need around SharePoint on a mm. day-to-day basis on-premise. Mm. It's a big deal to sort of get that working. Oh together. yeah, totally. It is a big deal. Speaking about devs, I am I am impressed too uh, at the work that Microsoft is doing in the dev space to finally deliver APIs that can uh, liberate some of the data that we have online. I'm with I mean, you. The, the REST-based APIs that they've launched for Office 365 are, are phenomenal, and I don't think enough people really know about them. When you talk, you know, talk about the benefits of getting the cloud. Mm. If I'm on-prem with this infrastructure, even at doing it right, and then they throw Salesforce at me, mm. all right, or they throw CPM, or you know, there's all these other products mm. that being, you know, working through a team to try and get those integrations, and a lot of that happens a lot less painfully in the cloud. Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. But Microsoft, I think, has got the message that they need to, they need to be better at this. And maybe one of the reasons why is that they d- – they still haven't developed the kind of ecosystem around Office 365 that they have around on-premise Exchange or on-premise SharePoint. Yeah, I tend to agree. They're trying. I mean, at least they're not trying to roll everything all the time. It's like, right. look, maybe you can sell Microsoft CRM, but there's an awful lot of people using Salesforce. Hmm. So, you know, we, we my customers want best-in-breed product stacks right. and they're going to they're willing to look at other vendors and they're going to and if you work with them that increases your likelihood you're going to get to be a part of that story if you mm. don't uh, then you're going to miss out mm. absolutely absolutely but i think it's really interesting to have it folks thinking in terms of we should be able to get some dev resources to put these ingredients together for us so that we get a you know the same way we've got a tight integration in unified communications and and sharepoint you know shouldn't uh, the other third-party tools that are our, our users are depending on be tightly integrated with that right. as well. And focusing on REST-based API means yeah. that basically any any web developer is going to be able to do this. It's not going to be a .NET guru, sorry. Yeah, no. But I'm with you. It's it's being able to make that stuff consumable. Yes. Right? That what tool did you want to use? How do you want to go about this? Like there, there can't be one right way all of the time. There has to be that sort of option that any skill set can come in and work with it. Hmm. So yeah, it is an interesting time from. Do you realize time. the the difference in the kind of discussion we're now having about exchange? <laughs> oh, no kidding! No, I mean, no, seriously. Uh, four or five years ago, we 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 talked about exchange, a new version of exchange. Yep. Ah, uh, we'd be there spending the entire time talking about just the on-premises bits. Yeah. And now we're just talking, we've just been talking about new development APIs <laughs> that are liberating data in the cloud. But it is actually all related back to that ecosystem and which surrounds the on-premises product and the, and now the cloud product. Well, I think because our customers are expecting a lot more from us now. It's not enough that it mail is up. It's that it's working with all the other things, you know, that it is it's part tightly of the integrated change. and you're, ta- you're, you're extracting maximum benefit out of it. 
yeah. and, and have some real evidence that you know you're you're getting to the right place and there's a progress forward. None of this stuff's optional for business anymore. No, you know, remember when mail was sort of a novelty and it, but everything was really oh, done yeah. by phone. Well, come on, we, we're we're well past that date. Yeah, we're but, well past that date. And I still, uh, you know, even though people come up with. Um, assertions uh they probably come up with an assertion every two years that some new technology is going to kill email yeah, this is the way yeah, yeah this uh, what's the latest one slack yeah slack's going to kill email. okay yeah right there you go good, <laughs> good luck to you on that one I, uh, you know what i'm i for a few folks i'm using slack it's got some pleasures to it it is not email no it's not email it's a different thing again well, it's the same we, we went through with uh, sms was going to kill email yep. uh all of the stuff that was integrated into Facebook Messenger and that kind of stuff, that was going to kill it. Uh, oh, I'm just seeing if we're ever going to actually kill public folders. You know? <laughs> it's like even try to kill mail. <laughs> yeah, public folders. Oh, there's a joy. There's a joy, yeah. Well, uh, I, RPSTs, there's another one. Yeah. PSTs. So here's a, here's a trivia question because I had this the other day. Largest single PST you've ever seen? Uh, just in, in in the single digit gigs, like not that big. Sixty three point two. Wow, that's a big PST. Can you open that? Oh, you can. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can, because uh, if you remember, years and years ago, Microsoft went from the old ANSI format to Unicode. Right. Okay. And as part of that, they they uh, limited the the maximum size of a PST. I think it was originally thirty two, but then Outlook two thousand ten, I think, may have made it fifty. But you, there are some registry settings that you can play around with and basically say, well, you want a big one? Yeah, we'll make yeah, you a big one. We'll make you a big one. Doesn't make it a good idea. Yeah. So that was an interesting one. And then the wow. other interesting one I got from this, uh, this, uh, engagement was, um, there was this person who, who had, uh, 800 PSTs. Separate files. Separate files. So they were getting around the limit the other way. Uh, no, no. Yeah. There was just the way people's minds work. Sure. You know, and uh, of course, this all comes from the from the previous restrictions on mailbox yep. sizes. People, people working was, around these restrictions. But this person had a PST for every project that they had ever worked on. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, but well, between the the sixty three um, gig the monster and eight hundred uh, PST, very organized person. It's, yeah. Um, you know what it just reminds me? It's like mail's not optional. Right? This isn't going anywhere. People, no, it's not going to go people anywhere. People run their whole business out of it. No, 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 no. Tony, we always have a fast half hour, you and I. Yep. Have a good time doing it. Thank yeah. you so much for spending some time yeah. with me. Good talking to you, Richard. All right. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. Run As Radio.